And good morning. We bless God that you're here worshiping together. Uh, special welcome to those of you who are watching online, whether it is you are not able to make it to church because of illness or whatever, but also for those who are checking out Discovery Church, we welcome you here. Uh, today is the first Sunday of Lent. It's a tradition of the church that goes back to the sixth century. It's time of 40 days to equate with the 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness. And it is a time for the church to truly focus on the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. Uh, one of the practices that goes back uh, centuries is the lighting and extinguishing of candles. Uh, and then each Sunday, each candle is extinguished to give the visual imagery of the closer that Jesus got to coming to the cross and the burden that he was bearing, knowing that he would suffer, be sacrificed, and endure the very wrath of God on our behalf because of our sin. And the tradition is that each Sunday, you extinguish one more candle. Now, I should have gotten better tea lights because you can barely see that they're lit right now. They're hanging in there. I don't think they'll make it to the end of the service. So I'll work on getting something better than the dollar store, right? So uh, as the tradition is, you extinguish one. To move us one step closer to Good Friday and also to Resurrection Day. So as we begin, we are going to start by saying our scripture memory of the month, which is Psalm 132, verses seven through nine. These verses we will say together, and then I'm going to invite you who are standing at that time to remain standing, and we'll read through our passage for this morning, and it's found in the book of Hebrews, I'm going to begin reading at chapter 4, verse 13, and I'll go into chapter 5, going to verse 10. So at that point, you can follow along on your tablet or your phone or a book, or just follow the words as Dan leads us along on the screen, uh, going through those verses. But first will be Psalm 132. So I invite you to join with me by standing either physically or in your heart before God as we say these words together from the book that we love. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool, saying, Arise, Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your peace be clothed with your righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. And now from Hebrews, starting chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing is uncovered. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. God's very word. Thanks be to God, and you may be seated. I thought I'd begin this morning by remembering our favorite kindergarten experience, show and tell. So I brought something to show and tell. Quite a few of you have asked about uh, the treatment that I went through, so I thought uh, I've tried to explain it, and it hasn't been so. But this is the mask that was used for uh, the treatment on the cancer that was in my brain both times. So you can sort of see uh, a facial. So I'm not going to do it here, but uh, it goes against your head very solidly. And if your eyes are closed, what they should be, you can barely squint to see what. So they would put this on firmly. And then, I don't know if you can see, but there's bolts in the back or holes. So then they would clamp this down and they would tie it tight so the head couldn't move. So you were firm. And then uh, the radiation, which was pointed by computer at certain points of the brain, would then uh, go into effect. And the idea is that you wouldn't move at all. So we got a new uh, radiation oncologist. And he looked like he didn't yet even was old enough to shave. He was a young guy. And so I asked him, what are your qualifications? Thinking, you're not a rookie, are you? Because he's the guy who takes the MRI and then plugs it into the computer and then double checks it when I get snapped in to make sure the laser is pointing at the right spot in my head. And so he shared. 
that he had gone through the necessary medical training. He spent three years of internship in radiation oncology. He spent three more years in residency with one of the finest radiation oncologists of the land. He had served for four years in a different practice and he was selected by Trinity Health over a dozen applicants to fill in for Dr. Kane, who retired. Though he was looking so young, reminds us, don't judge a book by its cover. I thought, you know, in regards to our soul, how can we know that we are having the right person dealing with our soul? How can I know that the right person is making me rightly related to God? What are the qualifications that are needed to do so? And who fits those qualifications? Who is the one who's going to help, by God's grace, move me into a purpose of life and give me eternal security? And let's not miss the boat on this one. How can we have confidence that God is going to hear my prayers and that I can hear his voice. How can I know for sure that we are on the right path and we're not getting bamboozled? Well, the writer of Hebrews goes back thousands of years to when God established the priesthood and the high priesthood where the ultimate relationship between humanity and God hinges. In the book, he shows that Jesus is fully qualified to be the one to bridge the gap between humanity and God by fulfilling the qualifications of high priest. As a result, we can have comfort in this life and we can have assurance as we face the life to come. So the writer of the book of Hebrews reminds his readers what they were taught about the high priest and why Jesus is fully qualified. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to approach this passage a little bit differently than I've done others in Hebrews. I'm going to dig a bit into the passage. And then, based on the things that are in the passage, close with a bit of a rapid-fire snapshot of descriptions of who Jesus is. But first, we're going to be looking at the text, the end of chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5. What are the qualifications of a high priest? The writer maps them out. There are four of them. It's someone who must be human in order to represent humanity and fully minister to humanity. Now, what this means is, our priests must be someone who has a full experience of the human dilemma, who knows the trials of humanity. Not someone in an ivory tower, but someone who understands the human dilemma, someone who is a human person, and understands. And that's what Jesus did. In Philippians 2, it describes the reality of the Gospels and that Jesus laid aside the glory of God, though he was equal with God, 
and humbled himself and took on the human flesh as a baby in Bethlehem. Jesus experienced the full measure of the human dilemma, fully human in all of his experiences. The high priest must also be able to deal with the problem that separates humanity from God. A high priest must come to grips with the awful universal problem of humanity's guilt. The answer to humanity's guilt of falling short of God's glory and God's perfection is that a sacrifice needs to be offered. Lifeblood must be spilled. A high priest needs to be able to offer that sacrifice. Jesus fulfills that, not only by being the high priest, but by offering his own blood to be the sacrifice to remove humanity's guilt by faith before God. There is a third qualification, and that is the high priest needs to have experienced weakness. We might see the first two qualifications, but maybe this one catches us a bit off guard. A high priest needs to experience weakness, the writer says, so that he can understand the problems and relate and care for others. How can Jesus humanly live and has never sinned yet understand how we feel when we have sinned? Well, we're going to hold on to that and come to it. But a high priest is someone who has experienced weakness in their own life. And then fourth, it is someone who has been appointed by God. One does not lift up the honor on their own, but one has been called by God to this position. The purpose of the high priest is twofold. is to bring cleansing to the people and to bring strength and courage to them, to make them fit for life, to know that their sins have been forgiven and that they have been empowered to live a life of faith. So it has to do with forgiveness, but it also has to do with strength. The ability to know that I can live a life of obedience, which is the thankful life as a result of grace from God. God appoints the high priest to do this, and he did so through the line of Aaron, the brother of Moses. So the writer gives a snapshot about what the qualifications of the high priest are. So how does Jesus fit into this? How is he able to serve as a high priest, even though he's not from the line of Aaron, even though he lived a life of perfection and never sinned? The writer says that Jesus is fully qualified. In fact, he is really the only one qualified to serve as the great high priest for us. In these ways, the writer says, 
he suffered. He can sympathize and understand our pressures, though he never sinned, because he suffered tremendously. The suffering that Jesus endured is the weakness that the priests need to minister effectively. And no other passage in the Gospel fits this description better than Gethsemane. There in the shadow of the garden, he endured the excruciating pain and torment of knowing what was before him. He had gone to the garden to pray before, but never like this. Puzzled and in deep distress. And there in the garden, Jesus did something he had never done before. He asked his disciples for help. Will you come and pray with me? Knowing the weight of hell forever was waiting for him on the cross. He suffered. Now, we can fall into the lie that says, well, Jesus never suffered the same way that I'm suffering. And if we go there, we start to give darkness a foothold. Because he suffered in such intensity in a way that humanity could never suffer. In fact, our catechism says during the time of his suffering is when his divinity rose and broke through his humanity because a mere mortal could not have endured the suffering that Jesus endured. He suffered unlike anyone else. He suffered more than anyone else to experience humanity's brokenness. And secondly, it says he obeyed. He learned what it, mean, what it meant to obey God when every cell in his body wanted to disobey. When everything within him was tempted to flee, he obeyed. Knowing the Father's will, trusting the Father to see him through. He learned what it feels like to hang on when it looks like failure is up ahead. When we want to bolt from responsibility, when we want to bolt from standing up for the truth, when we want to bolt because we feel we're standing alone, we know he cares for us because he went through that and so much more. We will never pass through a Gethsemane like he did. No one will. He did it to show that he is a perfect high priest who not only brings the sacrifice for our sins, but to understand the depth of human pain and despair and to see us through. He obeyed when every cell said to disobey. Third, Jesus was called by God to be a high priest. 
as we know from the Old Testament and as the writer of Hebrews alludes to. Not anyone could be a priest and not anyone could be a high priest. God chose the line or the tribe of Levi for the priesthood. Moses was from the tribe of Levi, so was his brother. And God chose the line of Aaron out of the tribe of Levi. Through that line would be the high priests. So that as the people would come to the tabernacle or to the temple, they would have confidence that the right person was there to offer the sacrifice for their sins and it would be accepted by God. Someone, the line of Aaron from the tribe of Levi. What tribe was Jesus from? Judah. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. Which is why the writer says, Jesus falls in line with Melchizedek. Say that three times. In the line of Melchizedek. This comes out more in chapter 7, so when we get to chapter 7, we'll explore it more. But hundreds of years before Aaron was born, there was a line of priesthood. And in that line was Melchizedek. And Jesus falls in that line, fully qualified to be the high priest to make the sacrifice for our sins. And then fourthly, he is qualified because of the cross, having suffered unlike any human being, not only the pain of the cross, but the wrath of God upon him on the cross. Fully obeying, it says in verse 9, once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He refused to strike out at God. He refused to blame Father God. He refused to say it was unfair. What he did was cast himself on the Father's loving arms and trusted in him. And he was brought through that. And so it was made perfect, as the writer says, for the priesthood. So it could be said, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And that's the encouragement to us when we find the suffering and pain to do what Jesus did, to throw himself in the arms of Jesus. When we lived in Minnesota, there was a man by the name of Ben Squirr, uh, a godly older man. And um, while we were there, he suffered a heart attack and so much more, and we went with the family to the hospital, and he was in incredible pain. And we were there with the family because he was awake and conscious, we were there with the family when the doctor said, I've given him enough painkillers to put a horse asleep for three days. 
and he was nearing the end of his life and everyone knew it. He had just hours. And he taught me something. Instead of crying out, God, why am I going through this? He cried out, Jesus, I need you now more than ever. In the pattern of Jesus. When the pattern is hurt, we call upon him to care for us. He is the only one who is perfectly qualified to be our great high priest. And so, because of Jesus, God's power comes alive in us when we submit to the Father's will, in anguish and in it all. God has clearly revealed what his will is, how to treat people, how to love others, how to keep commitments, how to sacrifice self for others. He has clearly revealed what his will is for everyday life. Is there something about everyday life that we are not submitting to? But also, secondly, maybe his spirit is prompting you in a certain direction. Maybe it's a new direction. Are you willing to explore this to see if this is of God or of God's leading? Is there something that you're not submitting to, even though you haven't checked it out fully? Because of what Jesus has done, the power of God is alive and well in us to allow us to live the life we know in his word and to follow the prompting of the Spirit when he leads us in a new direction. And you might say, this is hard to do. And it is. I have found that if there is an easy way forward and a hard way forward, God is most often in the hard way. When suffering presses in our lives, we have the choice to do one of two things. We can say, God, you are just not enough. I can't live with this, with this loss, with this pain, whatever it is. And we bail, we run, we quit, we give in, we squeal, we shake our fist at God. Or we can be like Jacob in Genesis 32 and grab a hold on God and not let go. I want you to be my everything. And I don't want to go through this without you. The Bible says that suffering is like a refiner's fire, right? The impurities rise to the top so you can skim them off. Suffering like a furnace has the potential to turn us into gold based on our choice of allowing God to do his work in us. In my studies of going through uh, pain and suffering and, and the pain and suffering of Jesus as he got closer to the cross, I came across uh, these four points I thought were really pretty good 
of uh, what it is that suffering does in us when we choose to grab hold of God in the midst of it. First, it teaches us humility. It gives us greater self-knowledge than we had before. It humbles us in a good way. Secondly, it teaches us of where we need to invest. To not invest in those things that don't make up the true joy and gold of life. Third, suffering is designed to grow us into deeper intimacy with God, to lean on his presence and love. God, I need you now more than any time. And lastly, it makes us wiser and more compassionate and useful in the lives of others, just like it did for Jesus. This is the stuff that turns us into gold. And it's only because we have the most perfect high priest who provides the sacrifice and provides the strength and courage to live that life. So that's what our passage has to say about Jesus as a high priest. And we're going to keep on coming back to it over the Sundays. So what might be the snapshots from this chapter? Uh, I'm just pulling out eight and using the verses that they came out of that we talked about earlier. Who is Jesus? He is the victor over temptation. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. He is our helper, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is the giver of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace. He represents humanity before God. Every high priest is selected among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God. He has been chosen by the Father. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your, your father. Jesus is a perfectly obedient one. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus is the source of our salvation. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he is the high priest like Melchizedek. He was designed by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That is our Jesus. All of this is designed for our benefit and our blessing and to give us comfort to know that Jesus meets all of those qualifications. In light of that, there is this interesting verse in verse 13, a verse that's intended to bring comfort, but it often brings fear, right? Here it is. Now we read it in its context, having gone through the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5, so we're reading it in its context. 
Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we give account. The scary part is, right? He sees everything about us. He sees everything that we do. He knows my intention. He knows my motivation. Oh, he sees it all. Nothing is hidden from his gaze. We are an open book to him. The comfort is, he knows our weaknesses. He knows when we are tempted. He knows when we are irritated with our boss. He knows when the kids get on our nerves. He knows when we want to fight back. He knows when we have been treated unfairly. He knows when we have been insulted. He knows when we want to fight back and even the score. The comfort is there is nothing of any of these things that keeps him from caring for us. It doesn't surprise him, and it doesn't turn him off. He doesn't let anything, anything get in the way of offering himself to us to be our strength and our refuge. So don't take his all-knowing about us to be something to be afraid of, but something that draws us closer to him so that we are encouraged. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's our And so we've been taking these snapshots of who Jesus is in the book of Hebrews. So this is where we're at so far. He is God's final word. He is the son of the father. He is the image of God's glory. He is the source of everything. He is the sustainer of everything. He is the heir of all things. He is the purifier of everything. He is supreme over everything. He is the fulfillment of everything. He is flesh of our flesh. He is the man of sorrows. He is the sympathizer-in-chief. He is the devourer of death. He is the disabler of the devil. He is the liberator of all fears. He is the sanctifier of the saints. He is the elder brother. He is the architect of salvation. He is the apostle of our faith. He is the high priest of our faith. He is God's authorized agent. He is the greater Moses. He is the builder of the house. He is the master of the house. He is the land of promise. He is the word of God. He is the high priest of heaven. He is the victor over temptation. He is the giver of mercy and grace. He is our helper. He represents humanity to God. He is chosen by God. He is perfectly obedient one. He is the source of salvation. He is a high priest like Melchizedek. That is our Jesus. And there is more to come. I invite you to join with me in a time of prayer. Father God, how we bless you that you have given to us the perfect high priest, the one who makes that atoning sacrifice that is needed 
and the one who didn't have to make a sacrifice for himself as he was perfectly clean and pure. We thank you for this great gift of love through Jesus who made the perfect offering. We thank you that through Jesus our sins have been forgiven. That we have been clothed with your righteousness as it says in our scripture verse. That you have raised us up to be one of your priests today. We pray that you will help us to express our thankfulness to you for your grace and your mercy and how we live. Help us to live obedient to your word and help us to follow the prompting of your spirit to move us in possibly new directions. How we thank you for Jesus, Father God, for this great and wonderful plan of you, the Trinity, to bring abundant life to us. And Father God, we, we give you thanks for how you are at work in our lives. We thank you that when we come to you with our prayers, you not only hear, but you, you feel the burden of our prayers. And so, Father, we lift them to you. We give you thanks that you answer. Uh, today, we give you praise for what we've been praying for this week, that uh, Sydney passed her exam. And uh, we just bless you for leading and guiding her in a direction of nursing and providing all that she needs to uh, meet a qualification to serve and to care for others. We bless you. At the same time, we lift up our needs of those who are hurting. We pray for Pastor Lonnie's grandson, Jack, that you would bring the healing that his foot needs and grace and patience to him as he waits for the healing to come. We lift up Gail and pray that you would bring healing to her from the pneumonia she has. Surround her with your strength. Be her refuge in this time of weakness and bring the healing that she needs and pursue as well for the infection that she has, for the uh, weakness that she feels. We pray, Lord, that you will provide uh, healing and health for her and that she can experience you as, as a, a great physician once again in her life. We join with Jen in praying for her dad and for the upcoming appointments that you would bring wisdom to the doctor as he looks at the tests but also father god that you would uh, give uh, grace and patience to jen's dad and their family as they wait what seems like ever so slowly we join with the garrants and being able to celebrate uh, a parent's birthday we bless you for their mom and pray that you will grant them wisdom and guidance as they talk together about uh, what next steps can be in regards to her living situation. We give you thanks with Hugh that uh, there is protection over 
his mom in a, in a recent fall. We pray, Lord, for our parents, that you will protect them, that you will care for them, that uh, when they appear to be uh, a little weaker than before, Lord, we pray that you will be their strength in all cases. We join with Dan in praying for uh, his extended family in a uh, goodbye to someone in their family. We pray especially for uh, Dan's grandparents and an aunt and uncle. We pray, Lord, that you'll give them strength in a time of sadness. We pray for Ralph that you will continue to bring uh, strength to him and that you will provide the opportunity to uh, have him in a place of... Uh, a living situation that is uh, caring for his needs and provides for him in a great way. We, we pray for that. We thank you for David and for Joe and Pam and pray that you will continue to provide for their needs. We lift up Annalise Grote and Elizabeth Barnaby and Emily Garant Look. We pray, Lord, that you will care for them and the babies that they carry. We pray for protection, for grace, for a time of comfort as they wait, and ultimately for good and safe deliveries. We lift up this day and this week our neighbors on 72nd Street. We pray, Lord, that you will bring a, a double blessing to them and that in your wonderful way you will provide the opportunity for them to know that blessing comes from you. And we lift up our missionary partner, Dor. We pray for Jojo, for Wendy, for their team. We pray for the leadership team as they meet and gather at various times and places that you will grant wisdom and guidance. We pray, Lord, that you will give them strength and courage as they keep their eye on their mission and vision to bring the good news of Jesus to the deaf community. Father God, we lift up our, our friends at door that you will provide for the needs that they have. We thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives, in the life of this community. And as best we know how, we lift up ourselves to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed and said, Amen. Amen.